check it out now. Yo, guys. Right, yo, yo. The, the, the mic is open, yo. For the Stretch All Sharks show, hosted yo, by yo, Bobby. I, how should I start this? <laughs> how should I begin to send grab the microphone in my round Shereen. Gene. That was an old freestyle from Nas before he was, you know, like, Nas. Yeah, the album getting ready to come out in January. The name of that is Illmatic. Oh, yes. This was pre-Illmatic when he was still a teenager. And what we were hearing was on the Stretch Armstrong show on WKCR. The golden age of hip-hop that, if I'm going to be honest, probably started winding down for me. After Camp Lowe's Uptown Saturday Night album. Do you remember that album, Gene? Yes, I do remember this that album. This is it. What? Lucini, Lucini pouring from, from the sky. sky. Let's get rich. What? I've played that song 3,000 times probably in my life. In high school, I played it all the time, that album. Oh, I love it so much. I, don't, I can't tell you what any of it was about. Sparkly. Lower. Oh, by the way, what's good, y'all? This is Code Switch. Oh, yes. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shereen Marisol Miraji. And today we're talking to two of hip-hop's most important gatekeepers of that era. And we're talking about the 90s here. Lots of 90s nostalgia going on in the world right now. Anyway, the legendary DJs Stretch Armstrong and Bobito, a.k.a. Adrian Bardos and Roberto Garcia, hosted a college radio show back in the day that put on so many of the greats. And now they're back to talk to us about their brand new NPR podcast called What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. Full disclosure, we listen to Sway and Tech because... I grew up on the West Coast. But had I grown up on the East Coast, I probably would have been listening to Stretch and Bob. Right. So back in the 90s, when Stretch and Bob were in their heyday. As the old folks say. <laughs> <laughs> their show ran on Columbia University's campus radio station from 1990 to 1998. Late at night, like super late at night. Back when the music and the culture was still scary and fresh and not nearly as commercial. And getting on their show at that time was a way you established your hip-hop bona fides. It was a way you got like credibility for being really good. They introduced the world to... Are you ready for this list? Mm-hmm. Notorious B.I.G. Heard of him. Busta Rhymes. Heard of him. Nas. Heard of him. Big Pun. Heard of him. I don't want to be a player no more. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. And a 20-year-old from Brooklyn named Sean Corey Carter. Who? Sean Corey? I don't know. Oh. Even if they won't let me in heaven, I raise hell till it's heaven. Recognize the black cat with the nine lives. Back in February 1995, Hove, Jay-Z, Traded versus live on the show with the late, great Big L, who was like your favorite rapper back then. It was an impromptu performance that was kind of the thing they did all the time on Stretch and Bob's show. And it became this legendary moment in hip-hop. People would pass around this verse, this freestyle, all around on cassette tapes. Jay reflects on that freestyle in a documentary Bobito wrote and directed called Stretch and Bobito Radio that changed lives, which chronicled their show. In this scene we're about to hear, Jay-Z's on screen. He's listening to the original cassette tape of that freestyle. You will never get this verse anywhere but on Stretch and Bobito. I raise hell to this heaven. Pretty good verses. <laughs> <laughs> that ever was the last of the underground artists that could be commercial because we were fully prepared. And I rapped alongside of these guys, so it was like sparring and boxing. When I was ready for my close-up, with the introduction of the internet, there is no rite of passage. Everybody just throw things on there. And that's why you guys are so important as gatekeepers. There's a curation to that process that's really missing. So like we said, Stretch and Barbito are back, but this time it's not a hip-hop music show. It's in-depth interviews, kind of like Fresh Air with Terry Gross, except for the hip-hop generation. They probably should have used that same title, except just said Fresh Air. Yeah, she she was around <laughs> before them, though, probably, right? She's been doing her thing for a long time. But yes, that would be a great name for a hip-hop show. So tell us the name of your show. 
What's good with Stretch and Bobito? What's good with Stretch and So does that mean I can't say what's good at the top of the Code Switch podcast? Now like, like, am I stepping on your toes? No, no, no. no, no, no go it's good. It. More the, the more the merrier. Who came up with what's good? We didn't. Yeah, I think we say it enough. We went through like 150 names probably. Oh, yeah, please give us some of the back names. Yeah, what are the names you did not go with? Do you uh, remember, Stretch? Rare no. Groove Rare was Groove. one. Yeah, that was, yeah. I, at this point, I don't remember. It was like a blur. It'd be like the chain would be 100 emails deep back and forth. Or maybe it's your memory. Yeah, oh. or maybe yeah. that's it. I heard yeah. those go when you get older. We're going to get all in their business about what's happening on the new podcast, but we wanted to ask them first about how they found their place in hip-hop culture. I think for me, I was drawn to hip-hop before I could even intellectualize why. The first hip-hop records that I was into were, you know, Rapper's Delight and The Message. Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> and then by the time Run DMC came out with their first album, it was like a full-on obsession. And I just, I just loved it. As hip hop started getting a little more political in the mid to late 80s, that started to resonate with me. You know, obviously, in a way, I felt like an outsider. And then as I got older, I became more aware of the fact that I actually am an outsider in terms of what hip hop is about. But that didn't deter me. I think that actually made me even more into it because I was aware that here was a music that really was about something. Um, because you were white and you were from the Upper East Side. Is that why you were an outsider? Yeah, I was white. And at that time, you know, if you went to a hip-hop show or you went to a record store to buy records, you know, I was one of a handful of white people that would be at these events on a regular basis. I mean, truthfully, I, I enjoyed that. I liked being special. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get, a, like, a lot of sadas? No, no, no. I really never experienced any hostility or sense that there were people that didn't want me around. Never experienced that, even even on the radio. When I say on the radio, I mean when, when I was doing radio with, with Bob. Huh. Bobito? On my side, it's, it's interesting because uh, I'm born in 66, so I got to see hip-hop, and it's, it's really, like, burgeoning stage. In the 70s. Uh, I'm much younger, by the way. <laughs> much, much younger. But, um, you know, at, at that point, Boricuas, Latinos, Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean, African-American, you know, we all kind of shared the same playgrounds to play ball. We all kind of shared the same uh, spaces to enjoy hip-hop. Now, at that point, there was no assignment of any type of ethnic identity or religion or anything mm. it was just like you know we played ball we played ring of lario we played uh Scalzies, we played blackula and <laughs> did you say ring of lario yeah ring Olivio. nah we call on the west side we called the ring of lario what um, is ring of lario uh, yeah exactly ring please. of lario one two three one two three one two three it's like you know you, you put somebody in a yoke mm. and then you got to hold them for, oh that's ring different of, ring of yeah. lario is different yeah <laughs> ring of lario is like capture the flag but you use the whole neighborhood so it was pretty wide at that point, and the first people to really bring hip-hop out of New York and throughout the world were, were B-Boys, who were predominantly Boricua, uh, the Rocksteady crew, first and foremost, with the, you know, with the early tours and everything. So it really had a, a diverse face and a diverse identity through the late 70s and early 80s. By the mid-80s, towards the late 80s, 
rap music really took a forefront of the culture and it also became political and it also became wonderfully black conscious. And so at the point where Stretch and I get on air in 1990, you know, the prominent MCs are mostly either Nation of Islam, Five Percenters, you know, all facets of, of Islam. And um, I think we both felt a part of the culture. We just didn't know if we had a right to represent it publicly. Mm-hmm. Talk more about that, yeah. I mean, there were the great MCs like Lakem Shabazz, Rakim, Chuck D, who wasn't, he, he didn't practice Islam, but, you know, he would say Farrakhan's a prophet that I think you ought to listen to um, in his rhymes. And, uh, you know, so there was a lot of awareness and uplifting at that moment. And, you know, as a white person, for, I'll speak for Stretch, and, and as a fair-skinned <laughs> Boricua, I'll speak mm-hmm. for myself, neither of us are black. I think we had trepidation about where we stood and all that. In any event, we arrived on air and, and we got accepted and, and then we just flew from there, you know, really flew from there. That um, Did I talk too long? I've heard that's what you do. Oh. Shireen. No, See, right, you were great. If, if Bob and I are in the same room. He um, usually kicks me underneath the table. <laughs> I'll, I'll give him a signal. I'll give him a signal. When I got the chance to do radio, I mean, it was a fantasy, right? And then it was crazy that, that this fantasy became a reality really quickly. I, I never believed that it would. Just listening to this makes me feel nostalgic for the old days where you could do stuff like this. And and just watching the documentary was making me feel really kind of weepy and nostalgic because it was reminding me of, you know, when I was young and it was making me think of my experience with hip hop, which was rooted in Oakland, California, which is so, so different than today than it was back then. And New York's so different and Philly and D.C. and, you know, name a city, the list goes on. Is this moment in hip-hop history trapped in amber also because these cities have been gentrified and they're completely different and maybe something like this could never happen again? Well, I mean, the gentrification has only shifted the people with lack of resources to other communities. So, you know, if, if there's not going to be a hip-hop movement in, in D.C., then it'll happen in P.G. County. If it's not gonna happen in Oakland, then it'll happen on the outskirts. Yeah, it, yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, or, or in another country. Yeah. Does gentrification not matter? I mean, it's a show I mean, about race, so. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think gentrification does matter. I mean, I, yeah, I look back on the late '80s, early '90s when I started. Even before I did radio, I was playing in clubs. I mean, if you can imagine parts of Manhattan as feeling like some kind of frontier, where there was a police presence, but there was a sense that you could bend the rules and, and get away with stuff. And it was within that context that amazing things happened um, after dark. And, uh, and that, doesn't, that doesn't really happen now. I think what gentrification has done to nightlife combined with the element of technology and the internet, it's really kind of changed the way grassroots movements can take shape and turn into something cohesive. Before we launched Code Switch, like a couple of years ago, I was talking to this professor, shout out to Samuel Leem at Stanford University, who's sort of making this the point that hip hop has become this musical idiom that is spread all over the world. And he was saying that like any country you go to, there is the way that the brown people in that country, like the music they use to orient themselves in opposition to the mainstream is hip hop, right? And it may be like very specific to that place, right? Like American slang in Urdu in Norway, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It seems like there was probably a time at which, as hip hop was moving around the world, that people were like, oh, so it's just me rapping in French and not, they don't sound like American hip hop. Shush, you want to answer that? Because I, I have a lot to say about it. 
Please, Robert, speak on it. Well, it's not now, Gene. It's, that's been happening for decades. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, it's just that now it's a lot more accessible to hear a great MC from Durban mm-hmm. or a great MC from Qatar or... We've been blessed in that we've, we've traveled extensively. I've been to personally to 42, 43 countries, six continents. You know, some of... Antarctica still on the, on the, still, still <laughs> on the checklist. Still on the bucket list. Um, you know, and you are right. I mean, you can go to New Zealand and the indigenous people there use hip-hop as a platform because it's a tool that one can use easily, right? It's not mm-hmm. like singing where you need to be in pitch, you know. I mean, one could conceivably be good mm-hmm. without a lot of training right they can't be great without training sure. but they could be good mm-hmm. and, and and good enough to share their thoughts and and their wisdom their knowledge their perspective you know you can go on and on and on in brazil and colombia and costa Rica. i mean you talk about latin america mm-hmm. wow the mc's there if you can understand spanish mm-hmm. they're like going super hard against the government mm-hmm. and their right to express themselves and not every country allows that but ultimately, I mean, listen, people are expressing themselves. And there always there has not always been a platform for that. Even even though it's gotten soft here in, in the US and compromised, uh, other parts of the world is still great. Hmm. And you feel like that's lacking here in the States? I don't know if, if I'm even authorized to, to speak on that because I don't I don't spend my day to day really researching what's going on in contemporary hip hop. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm I do play in clubs, so I'm aware of music that's going to make people move. But in terms of identifying those artists that are, you know, speaking truth to power or whatever, like, I just don't really know about them. All right, sticking with this 90s hip-hop theme, it's halftime. Oh, see what you did there. Hey! After the break, Stretch and Barbito tell us what's good about their podcast. I feel some type of way because they took my line. You can still say it, Gene. I give you permission. I don't know. Support for Code Switch and the following message come from Squarespace. Get a unique domain and create a beautiful website using Squarespace's all-in-one platform and award-winning templates. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade, ever. Visit squarespace.com to start your free trial and use offer code CODESWITCH for 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. Support also comes from Annapurna Pictures, presenting Detroit, from the Academy Award-winning director of The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty. Detroit brings the world a story most have never heard. Set amidst the chaotic events of the 1967 Detroit Rebellion, this harrowing new drama stars John Boyega, Anthony Mackie, and Algie Smith. Detroit, directed by Catherine Bigelow, premieres in theaters August 4th. Gene. Shireen. Code switch. switch. We're talking to Stretch and Bobito about their new podcast, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. All right, so we've been talking a lot about the past. A whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about today. Let's talk about your new show. Um, unlike what you did in the 1990s, this is not about hip hop. Well, it can be in some ways, but it's not a music show, right? right. It's an interview show. So tell us who's on the lineup. Mm. Mm. Are we allowed to? Steeple hands. Yeah. <laughs> We're safe allowed space, to. Safe space. <laughs> safe space. <laughs> well, we've got a man by the name of Dave Chappelle, along with his homie, the hilarious Donnell Rawlings. Ash Larry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep. Shush, who else we got on the show? 
We got Chance the Rapper. I've heard of Chance the Rapper. We got Mahershala Ali. Uh, I love him. Humongous crush. Y'all like no B-listers. Y'all like just just. No, we have. <laughs> we're we're, we're, fr- <laughs> we're, we're front loading this. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, I mean, we have A-listers. We got the aforementioned Run the Jewels. That's crazy. The... I'm hearing only men's names. No, we Excuse have Linda Sarsour. Oh, okay. They told us since we talked, they've booked more women for the show, Gene. Woot. Okay. That was that was something you were concerned about, rightly so. We also have Stevie Wonder. So I actually heard that y'all were all in your feelings during the Stevie Wonder. <laughs> oh, I cried. Well, yeah, for sure. I didn't see you, you were. Could you hear <laughs> you that on mic? Head, you put your head down. I couldn't see that. I mean, when I say cry, like I like internal tears. Internal, like just like you know, just uh. feeling so moved. He's just a moving entity in this in yeah. this universe, right? He's like so. in the pantheon, right? You know, you like, talk about Rushmore, like yeah, he, he's just there's just one face for me. There's just one face on the Rushmore, like, and that's him. That's him. Yeah. Here's Stevie from their show talking about his 15 year long fight to get Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday made into a national holiday. I never saw it as like being political. I just saw it as being the right thing to do. Hmm. And I just felt that a man who had fought for the economic, social, and civil rights for all people should be recognized for the greatness that he did. And for those like himself who lived and and died for that, should be recognized. And uh, when people would say to me, hey, a black holiday, I said, no, this is a holiday for everyone. He was a black man, and as I said, he was an African-American man. What's, what's, what's the problem? Uh, because I'm not looking at a color of a person's skin, but as Dr. King said, the content of the character. So we asked them, you know, would some of their old listeners from the old Columbia University days, from the Hot 97 days, be thrown by their new show? This is what they said. I think most of our 90s followers who mm-hmm. listen to our hip-hop show are going to be, like, completely excited about this sort of switched gear, interview-based podcast. Um, there'll be some heads that are like, oh, man, they're not, you know, they're not having guest freestyle, and, you know. Yeah, you should. And that's fine. Well, Mahershala could have. He could have. Actually, he did. Did he really? Oh, he, he, not really. Did he, that- he did a spoken he word a, piece. He did oh, okay. a comedic spoken word piece that is... Over house music. Mm. Vibing out at the club. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, girl. What's happening? Oh, my God. Oh, for real? Yeah. Come on. Come on, come groove with me a little bit. Shake your hips. Come on. Yeah. Oh, now I don't drink. Just, just pass me some soda water. Mahershala does get serious on the podcast, too. In this next clip, he shares how Islam has influenced his acting. At the end of the day, we're all spirits having a physical experience. And so when I look at those characters, I have to connect to that person's spirit and and go, okay, um, in this physical experience, what is this person being educated about? What are they working to? How are they trying to improve? And that, that really comes from my relationship with Islam because it just makes me really conscious of my actions. So you're on NPR now, which is di- very different from college radio, obviously different from Hot 97. Um, <laughs> um, what are you trying to do with the show that's different than what we do here at NPR? Bob and I have a, we have this rapport we have this uh, a friendship, you know, based largely on on humor. It's a goofy, it's a goofy friendship. You got to admit. I think in that way, it won't be your typical NPR show. 
and I think yeah, I think just the tone of our show is is very casual. It's mm-hmm. um, I mean, we like to make our our guests feel super comfortable, and hopefully that'll allow them to open up in a way that is unique. I think we've been hitting the bullseye. I mean, we the the proof will be in the pudding. People feel the same way. The one thing I found helpful when I was doing Vibe Magazine was that I realized that people wanted to see a side of the interviewee that they wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. But they also valued my voice as well. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a confidence as an interviewer. Um, and I think Stretch and I, what we're doing with these interviews is we're not just asking questions. We're offering our memories, our anecdotes, just the same as the interviewee is. We're also chiming in mm-hmm. a lot, as much as the editor and the producers <laughs> will allow. And hopefully maybe down the road even more so. And that is very different from how NPR usually does things. Right. It's a real conversation where you're interacting with the people on the other side. And that is refreshing. Have you heard our show yet? I did get a sneak preview. I was schooled here for the last 10 years in that you don't even say, "Mm mm-hmm, when somebody else is talking. You know what I mean? Like, you are literally silence (laughs) until it is time to ask the next question oh no we're like we're like word (laughs) (laughs) yes yes we're mahershala we're like oh word (laughs) i'm like i'm like "Mm, mm, mm." (laughs) and i love that you know and i love that there's another outlet that will also inspire us to be our casual natural conversational human selves so I'm really looking forward to hearing more. Say word. Thank you, Shereen. Awesome. You're welcome. Y'all are tastemakers. This has been your thing. Big music aficionados, DJs. What do you listen to right now? I'm a Manhattan kid, right? I'm not a kid. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a middle-aged man, but <laughs> um, wishful thinking. Um, and uh, I recently made the move to Brooklyn. Good choice. I moved to Bed-Stuy in February, mm-hmm. and I came back from a out-of-town gig and cool DJ Red Alert was DJing in the park by my crib. Uh, and I went out there and he was playing incredible music on a sound system that was provided by Keith Shockley of the Bomb Squad. So wow. Keith and Hank were there. So that's my song. That's the song that's giving me life right now. Mr. Fingers, Can You Feel It? For those of you that don't know, that's a Chicago house record. Yep. It's an instrumental track, but... That was one of the first house records that really, really blew my mind. It almost felt lyrical, even though it had no vocals. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's the tune right there. Nice. If you want to hear more of Stretch and Bobito, you can subscribe to What's Good on NPR One or wherever podcasts can be found. That's our show. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Codeswitch. And we want to hear from you. Email us at codeswitch at npr.org. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Our producers are Walter Ray Watson, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Leah Danella. And a shout out to the rest of the Codeswitch fam. Kat Chow, Adrian Florido, and Karen Griffey bates Our intern is Aleli Mae Vuelta. Special thanks this week to Lee Mengistu. Sammy Yenigan edited this episode with help from Neil Carruth. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. Be easy. Peace. I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. 
find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.